Good morning, Hope Church brothers and sisters. My name is Dave Brandt. Today we'll be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah, he asked? The Lord said, Go up. David asked, Where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. So David went up there with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David also took the men who were with him, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron and its towns. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. When David was told that it was the men from Jabesh Gilead who had buried Saul, he sent messengers to them to say to them, The Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul, your master, by burying him. May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show you the same favor because you have done this. Now then, be strong and brave, for Saul, your master, is dead, and the people of Judah have anointed me king over them. 2 Samuel began with what we took two weeks to look at, some lament and mourning and even formal services to honor and remember Saul, Jonathan, and many others. And now we get into chapter 2 of 2 Samuel where it transitions from the practicing reign of Saul to the practicing reign of David. And it is interesting that the very first thing he does is he asks the Lord what he should do, where he should go. And I thought it was worth honing in on that this morning, that we wrestle with what it means to inquire of the Lord in our own lives. But before we look at the text, let's let's pray together. Father, open our eyes, soften our hearts, and maybe as this text probes into us, redirect the submission of our wills, that we would be pursuing your ways and what honors you in everything we do. So help us to see how this text raises some questions and wants us to see how the rest of Scripture directs us to seek the will of God for our lives and to obey it. So give us guidance and wisdom as we wrestle with this together as your children in this local congregation, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if we were to summarize just verses 1 to 7, which I, which I want to give to you just briefly before we turn to the specific topic of the will of God, these verses describe the start of David's reign as God's chosen king. David had long been told he'd be king of Israel, and now the time is beginning. The Lord wanted him to be crowned in Hebron, one of the most important, if not the most important city of southern Judah. Let me tell you why. It was associated with Abraham in Genesis 13. It was given to Caleb by Joshua in Joshua 14. And according to Joshua 21, it was a priestly city. The text wants us to know that that's where God wanted David to go to be made king. Now, I think it is worth noting 
It says he was made king over, this is verse 4, over the tribe of Judah. Didn't say of Israel. In fact, if you read ahead in verses 8 and 10, which we'll look at next week, actually there's a bit of a divided kingdom at this point. And we'll, we'll save that for next time. In a sense, his anointing as king is right now only over part of God's people. There, as you can imagine, there's strife and division of who should reign and who should be in power and who is the rightful king, and that is still ongoing. But at least in this southern city, in this particular tribe, David is made the king of Judah. And his first act as king was to ask the Lord what he should do. He inquired. And I would just like to say this morning, I think, like David, Christians should make that a very common act in their own lives. That we should inquire of the Lord as we seek his guidance and will. Now, to be fair, David got a little bit cleaner feedback than you and I might normally get. David asked, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? The Lord said, go up. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? Lord, should I get up at 7 or can I sleep till 7.30? 7.30 is fine. Thank you, Lord. It goes on, in, 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 all in verse 1. David asked, where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. So David went with, by the way, two of his wives. Remember, the Bible sometimes is descriptive and not always prescriptive. That would be a descriptive moment. In fact, there's a third wife not even mentioned here. I wonder where she was. So even in a, with a fallible man going against what God's will is for things like his marriage, David shows this heart that wants to inquire of the Lord. It is strange, though, that he's getting this direct interaction. The oddity of David's approach has to be noted in our context. In the Old Covenant, remember, we're in the New Covenant. Think New Testament, Old Covenant, Old Testament. In the Old Covenant, God at times with key individuals, and the king of Israel was a pretty key individual, but also in some different ways, sometimes through dreams, sometimes through prophets who would speak, lots of different ways God would speak to his people. The beginning of Hebrews kind of frames it that way. In the past, God spoke in all these various ways, but now he has spoken through his son. So you can even see Hebrews is looking at the, 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 the growing revelation of God and seeing men in, in former times, God spoke in a lot of different ways, like to Joseph in regard to Mary with a dream and, and various things that God would speak and let his people know for key acts or key individuals. God is clearly doing that now. But just to be clear, we shouldn't expect the same thing. The majority, by the way, of seeking God's will moments in Scripture, so hear this, the majority of the moments where somebody is seeking the will of God actually doesn't look like what David has in verse 1 at all. The majority of the moments recorded in the Bible are really based on human wisdom, prayer, counsel, and direction from God's already revealed word. Things that we're going to talk about in a minute. So just because you see verse 1, you're like, man, why isn't God telling me to wake up at 7 or 7.30? Or which house to buy, or which job to do, or where 
or how to educate my children, things that you'd like to know about. To be clear, most of the characters in the Bible didn't get that kind of access. Most of them got what we got. Various ways that God directed his people in normal human ways. It's also just worth noting in light of the Old Covenant, now we're in the New Covenant, that this kind of divine inquiry came before the full revelation of God was given and it came before the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in those days, God would put his finger on somebody and speak or act in pretty direct ways. Now he does that regularly by the moving and gifting of the Spirit among his people. It just looks a little different than a voice coming from a cloud. There's a couple categories that I need to give you when you think about the will of God, and I've actually given you these before, but it is worth repeating so that it gets cemented, or if you're new with us, it'll be new to you. The, the categories are that God's will can be explained as having secret elements and revealed elements. That's the trick. No fancy words, just that truth. Some of God's will, plain and simple, is secret. And some of God's will is absolutely revealed. So, so we could frame it this way. Because God is mysterious and beyond us, some of his will is secret. God's secret will is hidden to us until it happens. It's not that it's necessarily always remaining secret, even though some aspects might. Why did God do this or that? Don't we love to ask that why question? Or the purpose question? Like when you're probing into those kind of, especially with hard, difficult things, just be aware, you, you and I just aren't on the same pay grade as God the creator. And that actually is really important to know. Like knowing our place, knowing who God is, and who we are not is very significant for the faithful life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we just need to know that there is a secret will that we will not know. Sometimes ever, maybe in the new creation, but at least for now, we may never know exactly God's intentions or the ways that he's doing things. But even more specifically, we may not know something God is doing or about to do until it happens. You just cannot know because you're not God. Proverbs 25 says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. That's because he's glorious. He's beyond us, he's other. We don't want a domesticated God, to be honest. We can't domesticate him if we wanted to. He is huge beyond us. He is entirely other. That is who your God is. And our job, as hard as it is not to know, sometimes when you want to know something, is to let God be God. It's interesting, if you go back to the very beginning, the first couple, Adam and Eve, battling over the tree of knowledge... They wanted to be like God in knowing what God knows. And Satan totally played that up. If we were to go back to Genesis, you can see the encounter. God doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to know. Satan was trying to domesticate God. You can't put a collar on God. You can't put him in a box. 
You can't put them to fits in an app in your phone or some kind of deity for a local nation or group of people or a family god like the various ancient pagans would have. He is the creator of all, totally beyond another. And we come to him knowing that, worshiping him because of that. The glory, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Yes, because he is mysterious. And we submit to that. But, I mean, so, so as much as I want to say because God is mysterious and beyond us, some of his will is secret, I can also say this right from Scripture. But because God is communicative and generous toward us, some of his will is revealed. God's revealed will is made known to us in Scripture. And, and please hear this, as much as you may like to know the secret will of God, right? Remember that bent going back to the very first garden? There's going to be something in us that kind of wants to know. And we have to remind ourselves and humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the mystery of God. But, but to be clear, God has been overly Bountifully generous in how much he's communicated to us. He tells us why he's doing things, why he sent his son, what the meaning of his son is, the nature of our sinful condition, the reality of the world we're going to face. I mean, you read the sermon on the, you, you read the farewell discourse in John, you're seeing Jesus, even though his disciples are like, this is a great dinner, Jesus, uh, thanks for having us. And he's like trying to explain to them what's about to happen. And if you read that with that lens, here is, here is, Jesus explaining, you're going to go through this. Here's what the world's going to do to you. I'm going to give you this, though. I, I got to go now, but it's actually good. Like, that is so merciful. It's so kind of him to share things that he didn't have to share because he's compassionate and generous and communicative. The image I've given you a few times, and maybe you've heard elsewhere before, is the image of a parent or a grandparent with a young child who kneels down and grabs their cute little face, gives them a little hug, or puts them on their lap and talks to them in ways that they understand. And that isn't even as close as the comparison would have to be to understand how, a, how the sovereign, transcendent God decided to communicate to you and to me. So his word is grace to us. And in that word, he guides us. In fact, you could say, and this would be true, the majority of our decisions and our actions can be guided by God's revealed word. The majority. The majority of things you're going to decide, and we'll talk about that, the majority of them, have already been given legitimate, clear direction in God's holy word. So if you and I are going to get all amped up about a five-ish percent of not knowing exactly what's going to happen with this diagnosis or this thing in our culture or world or this thing in our family, yet 95%, give or take, has been clearly pointed to, articulated, directed in, in story form, in letter form, in images. Who do we think we are? 
to not appreciate the revealed word of the, the revealed will of God so much that it's the secret will that we get caught up on. So just remember that, brothers and sisters, every time you want to ask the why and purpose question. You, you just put yourself in a posture of, I am not God. And I will not follow the path of my forefather and foremother, Adam and Eve, and always question him as if I have the right to do so. Again, remember the story of Job when God had enough of his questions, and he just simply said, so where were you when I set the planets in place? Good point. But the fact that God has revealed some of his will to us should cause us to be diligent and obedient students of God's word. So let me give you then, just as we move to wrap this up in the next few minutes, let me give you seven things that Christians should do to inquire of the Lord. Let me give you some guidance that I think come from a biblical theology of all of Scripture that it would speak to us. Seven things a Christian should do to inquire of the Lord, to do what David is doing in light of the new covenant, to, to seek and obey the will of God for our lives. Here's the first. We need to consider the secret will of God off limits. Too often we treat God like a genie or a butler, not a sovereign Lord. Do not pry. Accept his election of things for your life. Like them or not. And it's usually we complain when we don't like them. Let God be God over your life. By the way, sometimes God conceals his secret will in a way that is actually merciful to us. But even when it doesn't feel so, remember this, God is always purposeful. He is always gracious. He is always loving. He is never doing anything that will go against his character or his good purposes. You, you, can, you can rule of thumb from Scripture, all things happen in a way that gives God the most glory and us the most good. Doesn't mean it doesn't feel like pain at times, but we know that in all things, God works for the good. It didn't say that in some things or the things that you don't mind. It says, and we know, by the way, it didn't say we, we hope, Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that in all things, God works for the good. Now, at times, you might not be able to see what that good is. So you submit yourself to a sovereign but loving Lord, and you walk in that path. Again, hard to do. So when we consider the secret will of God off limits, it should cause us to walk with humility and with dependence. Christianity was never going to be super easy. Jesus simply said, uh, my yoke is light, but it's still a yoke, still a burden. Trust the Lord. Second thing we can do as we seek to understand how to inquire of the Lord, look at every decision with the spectacles of Scripture. 
Scripture is God's revealed word. It is his grace to us. But please hear this. It's less like a dictionary to look up specific things. Like you're flipping through like job change, job change, job change. There it is. And it's certainly not a horoscope to reveal the future in a way that speaks to exactly what you should do on Friday or Saturday. It's more like a nourishing meal that strengthens us to walk the hard trails of life. Scripture is intended to inform our minds, to shape our hearts, to guide our wills. I have been blessed the last few days because we have a funeral coming up for Pat Frederick on Saturday. Larry, Frederick, and Julie, their daughter, let me borrow a journal that Pat had been writing in. It goes back to 2015. It's numerous pages long. She wrote at the top of the first page, The Blessings Book. And I've just been able to read our sister's notes of gratitude to God. And what's absolutely beautiful is she's literally mentioning so many of you. What a sweet sister who came and one, one of them said, greeted me with kindness tonight. Lord, bless her as she raises her child, as she works at such and such a place. May you care for her as she cared for me tonight. It was a beautiful depiction of our sweet sister's reflections. But she is loaded with seeking the intentions of Scripture. Lord, help me to trust in you when I can't get past the sickness in my lungs. Help me to remember that you never do something to me to hurt me or wound me. Help me to appreciate the benefits. Help me to minister to the people who are medically working on me. Help me to be grateful for every little bit of life and strength, even when it's not as much as I would want. I just read that over and over and over in pages. That, that is not treating the Bible as a dictionary or a horoscope. That is treating the Bible as a meat and potatoes dinner that gives you strength to walk the hard trails of life. Paul summarizes it in 12, Romans 12, 12. First he says the don't, and then he says the do. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but get this, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we often stop there, but I want you to note where the rest of that verse goes. When you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, it says this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Isn't that fascinating? So it's not just a plaque verse. I want my mind renewed. Well, that's great. But what is the goal of that? The goal of that is you would align your life in every single way to the will of God. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when we live within the story of Scripture and the specifications of Scripture, most decisions can be given direction and guidance in remarkably specific ways. 
Again, remember that the, the moment you want a 5% insight and you've got 95% of the data. Third, find and listen to the wisdom of people who know you and honor God. The biblical definition of a fool is the person who does not seek counsel. Proverbs 12, 15. And Jesus in the Bible is hesitant to have us call anybody a fool. They are image bearers, but when it comes to not seeking counsel, feel free to use the word. God gives the Spirit not only to you, Christian, but to all the Christians you know. Just as God spreads gifts around the church to serve you, so also does he do this with knowledge, insight, and discernment. Seek the wisdom of people who know you and who honor God. When, when I was going to that, that wrestling, uh, now well over 10 years ago, when I was thinking about leaving, teaching at Biola, and going into church ministry, that's exactly what I did. The elders in my church, my small group in our church, key faculty in my school, all of them. I asked them questions. I had them probe. I want them to speak freely into my life. We all should try to do that. I know I can miss things. I know I don't see everything right. And I need brothers and sisters, my own spouse or others to say, hey, you're missing this. I, I'm, I'm not surprised at all if I'm missing something. I'm usually surprised if I didn't miss something. I think there's a posture of dependence we need, not just individually with the Lord, but even collectively with the saints. Number four, develop a habit of making little decisions well. We often think of the will of God for the biggies. We think of the will of God for the big stuff. I would like to suggest that Scripture actually wants you to focus on the little stuff first. Big decisions are simplified and less fearful when we become skilled at making wise little decisions. And to be honest, most of our little decisions are usually mundane, like food and time and words. They seem little, but they have big impacts. Let me give you an example about well, who, who, to whom should I get married? That's, that's a big one. And that might be the kind of the secret will of God that you'd like to know, young person. Before making a major decision about whom to marry, you have already made a thousand little decisions about friendships, about commitment, about integrity and character. You've, you've made a thousand decisions that are already directing you toward your marriage, whatever it may be. The wise Christian sees the little decisions in life as steps toward and part of the bigger decisions. Number five, pay close attention to the providence of God. When we remember that God is purposeful in all he does, and all, and, and all the ways he's directing us, even if we don't see it, we can realize that sometimes knowing and doing God's will is contextualized. It means it, it, it can be understood in light of what God has already been doing. The opening and closing of doors is guiding us by God's providence. 
even if we don't see it for some time until after the event. I've told probably most of you the story of when we were promised some some financial help when we were going to go over to Scotland and to, for, for grad school, and we were there, and I remember I called the individual, and the individual declined, uh, and found out later he had never intended to give that money, he was just doing it to give me the gumption so I could go overseas, and he was hoping I'd figure it out. And I'd been looking for work already because we knew we needed it because we were two broke grad students over in the UK and trying to pay tuition, et cetera, et cetera, and I hung up the phone talking to that individual, and as I've shared with you before, I spoke frustratingly about even the things of God. God, why would you do this? I can't, can you imagine a creature saying that to the Creator? And I was a first-year PhD student in theology. And I said, God, how could you do this? And Why would you send us here only to make us... Potentially have to go back home, and you can imagine, I mean, to the point of I'm sitting in our bedroom, and my wife, or I was standing in our bedroom, my wife was sitting on the bed and listening to her husband talk. She was filled with tears. And that went on for about five minutes until literally to the point where I looked at her face, and I finally had said all I wanted to say, and I stopped, and I didn't even know what to say to her, and then the phone rang. And I got offered a job and applied for that covered three times the amount I would have gotten from that individual. But what I love about God is he waited five minutes. He waited five minutes. He just waited so that I, because he knew my heart. It's not like it was a question if I was trusting. He knew. And he wanted a witness. He wanted my wife sitting right there. He wanted me to have a PET scan, a CAT scan, to see a cancer in me that I may know some theology, but do I know God? Do I trust him, serve him? To me, that was beautiful providence. Not in a way that changed something, but it let me see God's will. It was God saying, you can know all you want to know. The demons know. What I want to see you do is submit to me as king, O theologian. See, that's providence. Painful at times, but beautiful providence. Who can imagine the ways God, as you look back, Christians, to see God's steady hand, the way he works, what he provided, things he is doing, that again, not easy to nail with precision, as if he was giving commentary along the way, but you look back and you see God working in mysterious ways that are teaching you, forming you, helping you trust, breaking you. So pay close attention to the providence of God. To be honest with you, as I thought about that point, when you look at the Apostle Paul's letters, he seems to have been disciplined to trust 
the providence of God during his ministry. In radical ways, he gets on this ship and he moves on that and he, I think I should wait a few days. Like it just felt like he was walking in providence boots or something. That his foundation was so solid, he was just waiting for God to open doors. And I just worry that I lose that, or maybe you lose that. We, we, we think we work the system or with, with our knowledge in a modern society of networking or, or, what, or money or finances or being in a situation of power. Then we want to submit and trust to God. But when we have nothing, that's just hard for us to do. In the wealthiest, strongest country in the world, that kind of rubs off on you. You want to have the money before you say the prayer. You want to have the power before you trust. Our, some of our brothers and sisters don't live in the same context and minister in the same way. The Apostle Paul clearly did not. And so God let me, a very, very blessed young man, to be standing in a foreign country in a PhD program who was clearly relying on his own networking and smarts to show me and say, hey, Smarty pants. I gave you a good brain, but I'm worried about your heart. So I'm going to wait five minutes. No more. Just enough so it smacks you in the chest. So pay close attention to the providence of God. Number six, pray for wisdom. The Bible talks about that all the time. In fact, clearly, David prayed for wisdom when he inquired of the Lord. We should do the same. Lord, guide us, help us, direct our paths, make it clear. Remember James 4, 15, if you were with us in the James series? In, uh, uh, talking about how we just do things and then tomorrow or today we'll do this or that. James says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills. And I think that word if is saying there's that posture. Lord, guide our steps. Help us know what to do. Asking from wisdom is not casting lots or like Gideon in Judges 6, laying out a wet or a dry fleece, but asking for greater sensitivity to God's revealed principles, a closer resonance with God's heart, or even at times a stronger commitment to God's value system. Because sometimes we know what the truth is and we just aren't willing to submit to it. Maybe, maybe what we're seeing in all of this is it's not just about God's will. It's about our will submitting. Last truth, trust God as you embrace your Christian liberty. When we have taken all the above rules, seeking the Lord's will into account, we should make decisions with confidence. Remember that word confidence? Etymology, con, with, fide, faith. Confidence literally means by faith. We can make decisions with confidence for two reasons. Number one, we have Christian liberty when nothing or no one prohibits a specific decision. Right? If there's nothing in Scripture that says, there's no reason I can't buy Whirlpool over some other brand, right? or whatever it may be. There's no reason I can't be 
a pastor or a professor. There's nothing in God's Word that would say that that was my story. I remember I went up and talked to a well-known pastor speaking. I've told you this story before too. And I, and I said, what, am I, what should I do? Help me out. I was like waiting for this brilliant advice. And he's like, oh, that's easy. Neither of them are a sin, so have at it. Embrace your Christian liberty. And part of me was like, you didn't tell me squat. I didn't say that to him. I just thought that. But later I thought, he's not wrong. You can serve the Lord as a missionary. You can serve the Lord as an at-home parent. You can serve the Lord and honor the Lord by sending your kids to public school. You can do it by sending them to Christian school. You can homeschool your kids. There is Christian liberty. Think of, think of it like a yard with a fence. And, 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 and you let them play everywhere, anywhere they want. We, we, I, in California, they, and I think there's a place like this on state where there's like jumping things and balls and trampolines and all that. We took, our, when, the boy, when our boys were little, I'm not even sure our daughter was around at this point, we took them and a couple friends to this play area for like a birthday thing. And one of, one of my son's friends like, um, wh- where am I supposed to go? I'm like, well, as long as you're in the building, you, you don't go out those doors. But as long as you're in the building, you can play. I can play in the balls and the trampoline. I'm like, have at it, kid. He's like, this is awesome. He can play anywhere he wanted. Like, sometimes we try to narrow specificity of God's will. That's actually probably us playing with God's secret will. His revealed will is you, you can pastor, you can professor, you, 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 you could work at Walmart. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all for the glory of God. That's a lot of liberty. So that's partly why you've heard me say, I get a little leery when people say, God called me to something. Careful there. I, I get a little leery because I don't want to put a little divine stamp. Especially when I see in the Bible that all that calling language is usually something that every Christian would do. And I don't think every Christian is supposed to be a pastor. I don't think every Christian is supposed to do this or that. There's a lot of things that maybe not every Christian would have to do. But again, when we use that language, we're probably thinking God's secret will. But be careful. His revealed will gives us lots of liberty. So there's the fence. Enjoy the yard and play in any corner or middle section you want. Just don't go outside the fence. But another reason is is this. Another reason that we can have confidence when we make decisions would be we have a sovereign God who is at work in and around us and who encourages us not to worry about life's even most basic decisions. I'm thinking of Matthew 6. Why do you worry about this or that? Jesus rebukes that posture because he's wanting us to trust God. Again, confide, confidence with faith, so that we can maintain a clear conscience and therefore make decisions that seem to best honor God and walk forward, therefore, with courage as you trust in the Lord. And you might just find out that His revealed will for you, the parts that you were seeking to follow, and even taking freedom to obey actually was directed by his secret will that you could have never seen along the way until much later. You look back and say, interesting. My passions, certain provisions, certain open doors, 
God, you were working behind the scenes the whole time. Yes, he was. And that gives us a confidence, even as we walk in dependence of a mysterious God. Let's pray. Father, you are such a good God to us. And we want to f- seek your will. And Father, I worry that in Christian circles, even like our own, that just becomes a selfishly motivated desire to get everything right or get everything we want. But Lord, your post- the posture you would want us to have is one where we are seeking to follow and obey what you have made clear to us in every way. So maybe the the focus on your will can almost be a way of not focusing on our unwillingness to trust and obey. Father, help us to submit, to trust, and to walk in ways that you have clearly revealed not only for our own good, but also so that you may be glorified by your obedient children who trust the Father, who calls them by name, who beckons them to stay close to him, even when the children don't always know where you're leading us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.